Well, hot diggity, dog. We sound good. We do sound good because we have all the equipment we need to record this podcast. We are grateful for said equipment. <laughs> Always. You know what else I'm grateful for? <laughs> this is such a great segue. <laughs> My ability to segue. It's Thanksgiving week. <laughs> Woohoo! And uh, it feels like at least for one meal you can just fall off the wagon, let the trip to fan kick in, enjoy life. The question is, are you a fan of Thanksgiving food? Hate it. Really? Absolutely. All of it. All holiday food I hate with a passion. Mm. I think it has something to do with this latent fear of casseroles, but we don't have time to go into that. There, I think there's some good... I want to go into that. There's some, <laughs> no, just kidding. No, I don't. We don't have time because we have a, a pretty special podcast today. It's really interesting. We haven't done this before. Yeah, and it's, uh, the interview is incredible. I can't wait for our, our uh, listeners to hear it, but I want to lead into that with this big question. Have you ever had in your life hard work actually pay off? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I have. Nothing comes to mind, but I think if you're doing your life right, it will happen. It will have happened a few times if you're being disciplined the way you're supposed to be. Yeah. Just to set, you're saying statistically speaking through consistency, (laughs) I would hope if you just generally (laughs) work hard, things will pay off. I I asked that question because in, in response to listening to the interview, we we've heard with Hunter and our guest, um, I realized that my, actually my CrossFit career, if you could call it that, uh, has really paid off for me health-wise mm. going through a couple of winters and my health was just in really bad shape and um, hard work and gaining knowledge from things like podcasts like this one that we're recording has really helped my overall health it's just such a satisfying feeling when you know that something has gone a different way because you were willing to put in the work right? yeah and nothing and if nothing else at least through this specifically this podcast like just the diet change has been like it's hard work to do a at least a decent diet, but I've seen it pay off because I feel a gazillion times better even just starting with like drinking more water and stuff like that. Which, well, that's we're all shooting for that gazillion level. Exactly, that's where we're headed. And it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound hard to just as a whole eat better, but once you start trying, it's real hard not to cheat. Yeah, the <laughs> all thing, the time. The things you notice. So uh, you bring up an interesting point though. There's all, there are always things that compete against working hard or having a disciplined right. approach. Uh, one thing that we're going to listen to today, it's going to come out today, is age. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not the whippersnapper you used to be, Chase. You mm-hmm. know, you're now married and uh, getting on up there yeah. into those, those 20 years. Wow. So uh, we have these things that come against us. So in your life and your experience, when you're trying to have a disciplined approach or work hard on something, what are your main obstacles? I, I have mine, but I want to hear yours. Um, honestly, my own ability to procrastinate really well. I'm very good at procrastinating. <laughs> You're a last minute guy, yeah? Yeah. But it's, it stems from a lot of times I get my best work done when the pressure's high. But I think there's a way to utilize that and still be a little ahead of the game. Like you can make it less stressful on yourself when you try to utilize that focus time. If yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Well, when you know the type of person you are, sometimes you need to adapt. Sometimes you need to totally change. I think for me, the thing that, that compromises my hard work the most is just busyness mm. in other areas, external factors that, that come against me. So something that Hunter mentions a lot on this podcast, I think is great advice, is if you want to be successful, you take time to learn from successful people and then you just copy what they do. You know, you <laughs> yeah. like cut out the middleman. 
listen to someone successful, adopt their habits, listen to how they talk about being disciplined. And uh, this interview today is really going to help our, our listeners today. We're going to listen to Hunter interview Jeff Prejean, who is a games athlete. I mean, you know, when you're talking about success, very few people reach that level. It's a good thing to have on your business card for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So I think I'm just going to say this next week that, that I'm friends with this guy. Why not? Yeah, drop we listen to him talk, kind yeah, of. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we listen to the interview. So, all right, without further delay, we're going to get to this interview with Coach Hunter and Jeff Prejean. All right, Jeff, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate you being on the uh, Coyote Fitness Podcast. Man, been looking forward to it. Um, try to keep up with the episodes, and um, I figured at some point you'd scrape the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> talk to me yeah i remember whenever we announced the podcast you you text me and we're like i'll i'll i don't mind being a guest on the on the podcast man just let me know whenever you're ready <laughs> uh, whenever you get old and you have nothing else to do man this is a treat so no i appreciate you having me on yeah we're glad to have you man so uh jeff you and i go pretty pretty far back I, I, we were tra- talking the other day i think we met at 2013 fittest games is that right yeah i had heard of you um you know, the things that I kind of go back to um, in the early days of, I would say, South Central competition, um, I remember we connected before we met doing the OC throwdown qualifiers. Okay. Uh, back in the day. I don't know what happened first, but uh, that and, um, yeah, the, the fittest games whenever it was still pretty raw and outdoors in Austin. That was um, that was some good times. So I think the first time we competed together was probably 2012 regionals. Is that right? Yeah, we were there at the same time. Um, I, I was not – I would wouldn't say I was that competitive. We were on <laughs> – maybe we were – I don't know if we were in any of the same heats, but, yeah, that was the first time that I think uh, we uh, actually shared the competition floor. Cool, cool. Well, let's just go back and, and kind of tell us a little bit of your background, Jeff. Tell us your background before – uh, CrossFit. Um, I know you played played some baseball, so kind of tell, walk us through what led you to to CrossFit. Well, um, like like most of us, uh, you know, just growing up as a kid, always interested in sports, and um, kind of found my home in baseball, and uh, had a dream of playing college baseball, and and that uh, actually uh, happened. Was able to play some junior college ball in Meridian, and then go on to uh, Louisiana Monroe, but I didn't have um, uh, quite the fastball to get to the professional level. So um, kind of ended uh, my career at college. And after that is when I really got in a little bit more to fitness. You know, as a, as a uh, pitcher in college, we kind of, in the old days, we kind of stayed away from the weights. We did, we did some running, but, you know, pitchers aren't known as the best athletes all the time. So it really wasn't until I got done with that that I really started to train a little bit harder and, bounced around from, from a number of things before CrossFit was around and um, got into running a little bit, enjoyed doing 5Ks, and uh, just kind of fell in love with being fit. And so it kind of started, I discovered Jim Jones and some of the workouts that Mark Twight and uh, Bobby Maximus were putting out. And I, I started to do them at a Globo gym and uh, really liked it for some strange reason, like the suffering, mm-hmm. like the effects and how it made me feel. Yeah. And, um, you know, then just kind of stumbled on CrossFit, was at a, a normal gym, and a guy said, man, I see you getting on the treadmill and then rushing over to do something else. You need to try this CrossFit. He was an MMA guy, and uh, like most people, just, um, I don't know, I don't remember what my first workout was. It wasn't something um, like Fran. It was probably um, 
probably like a running and a pull-up workout or something like um but uh, i fell in love with it and they opened up an affiliate in alexandria shortly thereafter and uh, kind of the rest is history that's cool man i didn't know you got into jim jones first that's pretty awesome i i i, I like jim jones a lot and i really like bobby maximus yeah the iwt training i didn't even know it was called that back in the day but um, you know, the interval stuff on, uh, this gym I was at had one of those old school, uh, Schwinn Airdynes. Uh, I don't even think the monitor worked, but, uh, you don't need the monitor to suffer on that thing. And, um, so I would just, you know, time myself other ways and, um, yeah, man, it was fun. It's just, uh, I think, you know, a lot of us really just kind of got bored with the, the, the normal stuff, uh, the buys and tries and in that, um, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of yeah, that's kind of where it started for me. Yeah, we actually are still doing IWTs with our our competitors at Cody. They're they're very potent. So, uh, at what point did you decide that you wanted to compete in CrossFit? Well, the the gym that I started at CrossFit Alexandria, which is still a thriving um, affiliate here in town, uh, we had a, an initial core group of guys that were very competitive. And we, uh, it was 2011, I think it was, the first Raging Games. Mm-hmm. And we all just kind of signed up for it on a whim and uh, thought it would be fun. We had been training hard and um, went out there. And, um, you know, it's kind of a, of a funny story. My buddy, Mark Stewart, he was the champion. But we, we actually tied for first because uh, Jeremy Holy had a bad surface for sled pushes. And uh, I really was at a disadvantage. And so <laughs> Mark tied me on points. And then uh, about 30 minutes later, after we had a beer and had eaten probably some hot dogs or something, he, Jeremy Holy decided to do an L-sit, uh, you know, tiebreaker. So we did that. Mark uh, technically won the competition. But I left there thinking like, okay, um, I may actually be pretty decent at this. So um, that's when the competition bug really started and I started to train hard for the open, uh, that year. And so you qualified for regionals the first year you did the open? No, second year. So second in year. 2011, I was actually a judge at regionals in Tomball, Texas. And, you know, thank goodness I didn't qualify. It was still top 60 back then. I think I was 69, mm-hmm. uh, about a year in the CrossFit and it would have been, a um, it wouldn't have been pretty if I would have gone to regionals. I think Asia Bartow won that regional yeah. and, um, I would have struggled to snatch 135 and, and do a muscle up. I think, um, that was the last workout. Uh, so, uh, no, it was the second year, 2012. I, um, uh, I said, man, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't need to be at regionals. And, and I remember you were there that year because, um, I think that the first workout was like running and handstand pushups. And, um, I was just so impressed and just, you know, so inspired by you guys that I was, man, I want to. I want to do this. So you and Drew Bignall and yeah. uh, and um, you know Vic Zachary, all those old guys that uh, really just kind of set the um, you know set you know set the bar early on and got people going. Yeah, 2011 was my first year regionals, and I just remember being incredibly hot, like 110. And I still remember to this day that hundreds workout is the worst workout I've ever done. I remember in the middle of it, they had told us you can't take water out on the uh, thing. And I, I told the judge, I was like, man, you got to get me some water. I'm about to pass out. And so they threw some water to me and I dumped it on my head. But yeah, that first workout was running and handstand pushups and rowing. And I was about six, uh, 
six months into CrossFit, and I, I, I think I could do like maybe three handstand push-ups. And I remember I, I was the first one in off the run and then the last one to get on the rower because I was doing handstand push-ups like one at a time. I think I thrustered 205, which is embarrassing, but yeah. <laughs> that's how it was. But uh, So 2012, uh, you qualified for regionals. And how many years did you qualify for regionals as an individual? So it was uh, three years. Three so, years. Uh, yeah, 12, 13, and 14. That's awesome, man. And then you graduated to the master's category in the next year? Yeah, so that was 37, 38, 39 years old. And then in 2015, which was really the year I had been targeting for a couple of years, um, um, you know, I qualified for the games my first year. Barely got in. Um, number 18, it was one of those uh, things where we were, uh, me and Chris Xoros, who's a, um, a multi-time games athlete and Masters, we were all kind of, me and him and Dusty Highland were just kind of sitting around waiting to see if we would get in. And, uh, and I snuck in at number 18 that year um, and, uh, and got to go to Carson. So it was great. That's awesome. And then you had a three-year run at, at the CrossFit Games, including a podium finish in third place uh, your second year, right? No, that, actually the first year was my best year. Uh, first so year. I qualified, qualified at 18, going in, and then finished third uh, that year. Okay. Um, and then finished, uh, sixth the next year and then fifth, uh, in, in 2017. So yeah, it was definitely a blessed run. Um, I'm, I'm much better in, in those, uh, situations, multi-day live event, uh, the open and the, the qualifiers are always a struggle for me. Mm-hmm. Um, cause of those, you know, uh, those workouts and people, you know, able to redo them. I'm, that, that's not really in my wheelhouse, but, you know, give me, you know, seven or eight events over three days and I can, um, I can save the course pretty well in those, those situations. Man, so that, the game better format for me. Yeah. That's, that's really awesome. Really consistent finish at the games. Tell us a little bit about your experience competing at the CrossFit games. I know a lot of people have aspired to, to make it there and nobody, uh, around here, at our gym anyways has ever made it so there might be some listeners who are curious you know just tell us a little bit about experience anything that stands out to you any you know what did you enjoy uh any in uh meaningful interactions with some some crossfit celebrities or anything like that yeah so i think for me probably the most memorable thing the podium finishes was definitely great but as i look back on it and now kind of a year removed from that um it's um you know, you meet so many good people, uh, and, and it's brought so many good people into my lives, guys that I've competed with and stayed in touch with, uh, I consider dear friends. The games experience itself, um, is, um, is a whirlwind to be honest with you. You, um, you know, you do get some cool stuff. Um, I have a closet full of, you know, gear and, and shorts and, and shirts that, that I'll never wear. And, and it's great to get all of that. You, you really, even as a master's athlete, they, they treat you well. Um, and um, but the, the games experience itself is um, is not that enjoyable. Uh, and what I mean by that is the workouts are, are brutal. Um, I mean, you are beat up after day one. Um, you're not sure that you can even compete the next day. Sometimes um, you, you don't really get to enjoy a lot of the festivities of the games, um, you know, watching um, some of your idols and the people in the younger group. Um, but. Uh, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world, right? So it's um, it's something that I know I've been fortunate to do. I know a lot of people work for it and don't get to get there. Um, so I never looked at it as an entitlement. Um, but it to, to say 
that it's not some of the most memorable experiences in my life, getting there, going to check out, you know, getting your gear, uh, going through the, you know, the vendors village as an athlete, um, you do get treated special. And, and, you know, the experience was always worth uh, the hard work that I put into it. That's awesome, man. You competed both at Carson and in uh, Madison, right? Correct. How, yeah. how would you compare the two venues? Um, you know, I tend to be more air on the side of like in nostalgic, right? So yeah. the, the stadium and the, um, the soccer field, you know, whenever we got to go on those, uh, surfaces, you're, you're thinking in your mind, you know, Rich Froning, Jason Khalifa, all these guys, this is where they competed. So it's basically like going to play baseball in, in Yankee stadium, right? Yeah. It's, um, so and, and then Southern California is kind of hard to beat um, just in terms of uh, things to do before and after the games. You know, uh, your family's looking forward to going in to California. But, you know, Madison, Madison had its high points, too. I mean, you know, new, you know, new is, is, is better. Change can be difficult for folks. But I love the fact that they put us in the water. I love the fact that they had our own uh, venue for, for Masters. So. Uh, but if I had to choose one, I would say Carson was it was a better place. But I understand why they needed to, to move it because it was definitely limited in what you can do there. I agree. There's there's something special about Carson because that's kind of where the the games grew and into what it is today. And that was always like the the cool excitement get to go out to Carson and compete in the tennis stadium like on Saturday night. That's what everybody always talked about. And it, I felt like it lost a little bit of the luster when it went to Madison. But now it's just a little different, you know that. The, the, the stadium they have now seems really cool and they can do a lot more um, with the competition. So, you know, I guess there's pros and cons to both. It's brought in a lot. I tell you, the coolest thing I did get from the games you were asking about is the second year I was there, they actually gave us uh, a smaller version of the rubber mats. Mm -hmm. You know, you big rubber mats that they give the regular games athletes. Uh, but they gave the Masters one in 2016. And it had the 10-year anniversary stamp. So um, of all the things that I've received at the games, it's under my bed right now because I don't want it to get trampled on. But eventually that'll be one thing I kind of probably put in a shadow box and put on my wall. But um, that was uh, that's something that was really, really cool to get that last year in Carson. That is really cool, man. So you started competing and you started working with uh, Brute, correct? Was that your first coach that you had? Yeah. Uh, no, actually um, – I, I uh, qualified for regionals with on really three different programs, uh, Invictus on my own, and then um, uh, Sam Nix out of CrossFit Dallas Central, who's an OPEX guy, mm -hmm. and then uh, Brute my last year, and then all three years at the Games. Cool, cool. So how, how's your experience been working with different, um, different coaches? I know you and I did Brute together for a while. Um, what, what would you, what would you say your experience is like working with coaches? Would you recommend people go at it or alone or do they need to have a coach? What, what's your thoughts on all that? Um, I, I think everybody has a different experience, right? So, um, I would say that, um, if you have the, the money and, um, you know, you really want to get to the games, uh, it's, it's, it's the only thing that you care about doing. I say this, there's probably some value in, uh, looking at individual coaching, uh, at least whenever I did, there wasn't the the abundance of the programs now to, to choose from. I think the programs now are so comprehensive and so well-researched that you probably don't need the individual coach as much as you used to anymore. 
But at the time, it was the right thing for me. I, I would say the biggest thing with remote coaching is to have the proper expectations. Um, you're never going to get the type of coaching and the type of um, experience that, that you would get uh, working with a coach um, in, the, in the same gym every day. So if I had the choice of working with, um, you know, the most famous remote coach in the world or just a damn good local coach who can watch my movement every day and talk to me training sessions, I would go with I would go with the, the, the local guy at this point. But, um, you know, um, it was the right thing for me to do whenever I did it. I've qualified for regionals in the games both ways. So I think that, you know, it's not necessary, but it's definitely a, a path out, you know, available to folks. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your mindset and your routines and habits. That's something I've always been really impressed with you. You always have a have a good mindset, and you seem to have some routines that you really stick with um, pretty strongly and consistently. And you also train alone a lot. And I know you travel a lot for work, and you're getting up early to train, and you're you're training late. What what do you think has has helped you to develop the mindset to compete and to to want to you know, put in that work even after a long day of traveling or get up early if you didn't get a whole a good night's sleep the night before and uh, just kept kept you coming back uh, to the well every day? Well, you know, I've always told people uh, that I, I love training more than I love competing. Um, so, um, you know, whenever you enjoy going to the gym, even if it's early in the morning, um, even if you're a little sore, um, it's, it's not a, it's not that big of a chore. And then you throw on top of that, you know, the fact that you have goals, you set goals for yourself, whether it's regionals or, or the games or, or maybe just doing the best at a local competition. If you love it and you have goals, I, it's always been something that I've just been able to get up and do. I think if you struggle with motivation to even go to the gym, um, you know, I don't know what advice I would give other than maybe just reflect on, on your why a little bit. Um, maybe you're experiencing some overtraining, you know, look at other stresses in your life. But, you know, I've always been, since I've started with CrossFit, able to kind of put blinders on to what other folks are doing. And in, in doing that, uh, really just developed routines that, that worked for me through, through some trial and error, right? So, I mean, there are things that I used to do that I don't do anymore because I found a better way to, uh, a, be a better mousetrap per se. Um, but I do think that routine uh, for any athlete is 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 key. Um, if you're bouncing around different programs, if you're not paying attention to little things like recovery and, and mobility, um, you know, I never felt like I was. I never allowed myself to feel like I was ever good enough to get away without doing the little things. Um, so, you know, um, I and I wouldn't consider myself like naturally like an off the chart um like natural athlete i felt i've always just reminded myself that if you want to get there you're going to have to work for it you can't you can't skip sessions you can't skip the little things and, and get there so um that's kind of been that i don't know if it's humbleness but but not not really allowing yourself to think even if you've made regionals of the games not allowing yourself to think that um that you can ever put it on coach and um because I'm trying to be a dad and because I have a, a, a corporate job that requires a lot and I'm trying to be as fit as I can, if I don't have systems or habits that, that, that um, keep me on track, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fail probably on all three fronts. So 
for me, it's, it, it is about CrossFit and being fit, but it also helps me have the appropriate um, attention to other parts of my life, too. So it's just I found things that work for me. And uh, I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for, but it, it, it works for me. And I try not to get caught up in what, what anyone else is doing. Oh, you know? def- definitely, man. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said you got to figure out why you're doing it. If you're just doing it just for the end result, like to qualify for the CrossFit Games, but you don't enjoy the training, then you're not ever going to make it. You have to actually enjoy the process and fall in love with the process. And I think that's that's what true about what's true about you. And I've seen about you, even if even though competition has sort of taken a back seat lately, you still love the process and you still enjoy training. And I think that's what what the most successful people have in common that whether there's CrossFit games or not, they're still going to be in the gym training and trying to become the best version of themselves. So that's, that's really, really cool. So let's dig into the, to the master side of things. I know we got a lot of uh, listeners who probably are in the master's category and you, you've, you've competed on both sides. You, you were in the 35 to 39 category before they actually had that category and you were competing with the, with the individuals. And then you graduated to the 44, uh, 40 to 44 and you've done the master's thing for a while now what what's the difference between competing in the individual open category compared to the master's category and and how do you um maintain a high level fitness um as you get older so you know interesting for me the regionals format of uh two workouts a day three days a week is pretty equivalent to what the master's experience at the game um, what I don't have experience with is the true games experience for the younger guys in 17 events or however many they do. Um, but, um, you know, for me, uh, it was kind of six years of, of, of the same thing as, as kind of the, the peak of my season. So I think regionals in a lot of ways really, um, uh, really helped me prepare for the Masters competition. Uh, it was, you know, the same volume of work, you know, uh, it seems like the weights and, and the, the requirements get harder every year in competitive CrossFit, but I kind of grew with that, right? So, um, you know, as, as you know, the, the weights they use at regionals now compared to 2012 and 2013 are a lot different, you know, as we've seen. So I feel like from a timing perspective, I kind of grew with the sport at, at an appropriate rate. Um, th- there is no getting around it. I mean, you have to put in... Um, you know, based on where you are as an athlete, there, there's no more, you know, there, you, even whenever I was, you know, 12, you know, 2012, 2013, I was still doing extra stuff. Now, the trick is, is finding the right balance of, of getting the, the training uh, stimulus you want without, um, you know, beating yourself up or not being able to train. Um, I've been lucky to have the guidance of some folks like, you know, Jeremy Todd, who was with Active Life, and now he's doing his own thing with uh, Vatra Spine, you know, uh, Brute Strength, and even uh, my OPEX coach, Sam, at the time. And just getting, you know, getting people to really uh, invest time in a program that's, that's progressive and appropriate. And then also knowing your body, right? So if, 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 you, if you have to scale away to get the stimulus of the workout, then, then you need to do it and you need to swallow your pride. Um, but I would say that. Um, I've just recently, uh, in, my, in the last couple of years, started to really feel, um, I would say, my age and, and, you know, backing down a little bit on the volume just because it was such a long run for me. But um, I would not approach, if your goal is to get to the games, um, 
you probably do need to modify the volume uh, as a master's athlete, but you know, making sure that you address gymnastics, weightlifting, your, your engine, you still have to take that approach, maybe just at a, a little bit lower volume. And, and I think the only way you do that is to kind of go through some trial and error. Yeah. Um, how much do you think it's uh, age and how much do you think it's training age? Like how, how long you spent doing CrossFit? How much do you think that has a, a effect into it? Um. You know, physically, my joints are, are in pretty good shape right now. I mean, I go through, um, like, I'm not I'm not pulling back because I'm injured. Um, I've really always tried to prioritize staying healthy. My goal was never to do this until my body completely broke down. That's not that's not my goal uh, in life. I want to be as much as I wanted to get to the games. I still wanted to be healthy. So, I would say that um, the after eight years of hitting it hard, there's a natural need to kind of pull back. At least that was my time to say, okay, mentally and physically, you need to give your body a break. Physiologically, I think we know that, you know, testosterone levels decline, physical capacity declines. I mean, we can train as hard as we want. A, a, a 43-year-old is not going to have the same upside as a 23-year-old given the same uh, dose of training. Um but it's um, but I don't think that it's a, a limiter because the great thing about CrossFit is you're usually competing against people similar age. So um, I would say more for me, um, just the seven or eight years of training, I guess, um, you know, like playing seven or eight years of any, you know, hard demanding sport. Uh, there's going to come a point in time in an athlete's life where they probably need to pull back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. I know you you're excited about talk, talking about a little pop culture. So, uh, <laughs> hey, there, there is life outside of CrossFit, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so uh, I, I was just going to ask you a, a couple a uh, couple of questions, um, just so we can kind of get to know you a little bit a little bit better outside of the CrossFit gym. So, why don't you tell me your favorite uh, movie, book, TV show, and uh, musician? Can I have multiple part answers? Yeah, sure. You can do whatever you want to, man. All right, so um, I love the Jason Bourne series. I love I love the Bourne movies. Uh, me and my me and my wife enjoy those together. Uh, th those are great movies. Um, current uh, in growing up, a uh, huge Star Wars guy. Now I'm not the guy that can tell you every character's name and and what planet they came from, but um, I've watched those movies multiple times. Love it. And then kind of my oddball favorite movie is Cocktail mm -hmm. with Tom Cruise. Uh, I had a big crush on Elizabeth Shue back in the day, you know her nice. her kid days and, yeah. and cocktail days. She was a cutie man. So um, those are those are some of my favorites. Awesome man. What about any books or uh, artists or anything like that? Yeah. So uh, books. Um, the Slight Edge is a great book uh, just for life in in general. Um, I think it gives some great practical advice on just how to approach everything in your life. I think some of, you know, you, I know you're a big avid reader. I've read some of the books that you put out there. Um, you know, the obstacle is the way, uh, is, is, is a great book. I, um, I kind of grew up reading like Hardy boys and things yeah. like that really showing my age. But now that I'm in the business world, I read a lot on leadership and, uh, trying to get a little bit into biographies. So, um, you know, my interest is pretty, pretty wide, uh, but I do a lot of audible because I drive so much. Um, I'm not a big, uh, actual book reader. I'm more of a book listener. Yeah. I loved the Hardy boys when I was a kid. I, I read a ton of those, man. Yeah. And you remember choose your own adventure books. Yeah. Where you, 
you reach a certain point and you get to go, you yeah. know, one way or the other. Uh, those are always pretty fun. Yeah, too. yeah, those were. What about your favorite band? You know, my favorite artist of all time is Bob Marley. Um, and so uh, I'm a big Bob Marley fan. Um, listened to his music growing up. Uh, wasn't really into reggae. I was just into him um, and his message and his vibe. And then more currently, um, you know, I'm in the gym a lot. Um, I like some good hip hop. I listen to some Migos and things like that. But uh, other artists I like, uh, David Gray, who's a great singer-songwriter from, uh, from England. And then kind of contemporary reggae music. So bands like uh, Revolution, uh, Dirty Head, Sublime. Um, uh, I have a pretty, I, I do, except for the two years I lived in Meridian, Mississippi, uh, I do not listen to country. And uh, <laughs> so I know that's probably going to lose some fans uh, in Mississippi, but uh, I can't get in, into it, man. So. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you on that front. What about TV shows? You watched any good TV shows lately or got a favorite that sticks out to you? Uh, probably Walking Dead uh, recently. Um, I, I discovered Walking Dead late, and then I like binge watch for a month. Um, and um, you know, I'm just kind of hooked on it. I, I love it. Um, you know, The Office was a was a was one that I watched con consistently. Um, so you know, these days, um, you know, we don't watch as much TV as we used to. I, I guess, man, it seems like I used to watch multiple series, right? Um, you know, the Cosby show and, and all this sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, the other thing, me and my wife will watch Dateline a lot. So uh, kind of boring, but um, yeah, the little bit of TV I watch, I, I really like. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good, man. That's a solid list. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate you uh, you being on the podcast, man. Been looking forward to having you on for a while and uh, really enjoyed our, uh, our talks and really enjoy seeing you when you uh, stop by the gym when you're in town, man. Yeah, well, I and and kudos to you, man. I mean, the the article, the blog writing, the podcast. Um, I think it's important right now for affiliate owners to to you know to continue to raise the bar of what an affiliate should be. And you guys do a great job at Coyote. It's the only place I would go to train in Jackson when I come in, and uh, really enjoy you. You know, appreciated your friendship through the years, man. You've uh, obviously been someone that's been a high level competitor and someone that i've compared myself to uh as long as i could man um you know those days are gone for me probably but uh it was fun while we while we rode that ship together for sure it definitely was man well jeff i really appreciate it and uh you have a good rest of the day brother all right brother take care all right see you ladies and gentlemen it's about that time time for outside the box nailed it nailed it what a time to be alive <laughs> I love this country. <laughs> All right, Chase, you have a topic for Outside the Box today. I'm actually pretty excited to discuss this because I think it's going to tell me so much I don't know about the two of you guys. Yeah, so I, originally it was two things. I think just one thing. What's, so the question is, what is the very first thing you would buy if you suddenly inherited a billion dollars? Just so there's, I'm, you know, you want a little leeway. There's no cap, yeah. like a billion bucks. Whether it's a house or whatever. I'm not, no spoilers or anything, just... So, Ben, I think you should go first. It's my topic. I, I figure I'll uh, not go first this time. Okay. If I, so, if I have a billion dollars, it's the first thing I'm going to buy. Yeah. Uh, well, this – okay, I have two answers, but the, the one – anybody that knows me would understand this. I would find the perfect 1979 Jeep. Perfect. 
then I, I would take that whatever is not perfect and make it exactly my own. Yeah. So, so one big cumulative buy of like the perfect Jeep. Yes. And that what, makes me feel better about my answer because it's like a lot of things, but it's one big thing. Yeah. I th- and here's how I'm going to play that out. This is a very short answer, but you know, I, I can turn a short answer into 15 minutes. Always. But the, the reason I would do that is because I've got this ungodly sum of money. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I need to focus it on one thing to have the best thing that ever was the thing. So I would have the, in the world, the most perfect <laughs> 1979 Jeep. Your, go- your goal would be, can I make this billion dollars count with one Jeep? Could I make the, could I make the billion dollar Jeep? <laughs> yes. No, like, I'm not going to do anything that's going to make me money later or like buy the house. So I don't have to pay the house note. So after I purchased the Jeep, the first thing I would do is contact Jeep. And I would set up an appointment with whoever was mixing the paint in 1979, if they're still alive, or their offspring. And we would get that recipe, and I would... So I'm talking about that level. I'm not just talking about, oh, am I going to get speakers in the roll bars? Like, we're, we're turning back the clock. We're Bill and Ted's <laughs> excellent adventure to 1979 to get this Jeep. Second, after I do that, then I would do something like purchasing a house... So that, you know, that money keeps on going. But I think if it's a billion dollars, who cares about that kind of stuff? Yeah, splurge a little bit to start off because you got to celebrate somehow. You just got a billion dollars. Okay, so this is, the, this is the second thing I would do. You didn't ask for two things, but I'm going to pull a hunter here. That's I'm going to say two things. So the first thing I'm going to do is buy a Jeep. The second thing I'm going to do is get a couple of my closest friends together. And by, by a couple, I mean I'm a pretty popular guy. So yeah, like 50, yeah. something like that. Uh-huh. I'm going to take a sampling of who they would want to see live in concert. Mm. and I'm going to bring those people to, like, somebody's farmland, <laughs> and we're going to have a very ultra-private concert with some of the most amazing artists alive. Wait, so for, like, a hundred of your best friends, you're going to bring in freaking Bruce Springsteen, Whoever Dave Matthews. Whoever they say, I'll make it happen. Money who, talks. Who, who, who do you want to be there, though? It's Dave, Dave Matthews. Mm, yeah, I t- yeah, I could listen to some Dave. I'm, you know, I've been taught to be embarrassed by that, but, hey. I'm a kid of the night. I don't. I don't understand why though, because the more the older I get, the more and more I find people are like, "No, I actually like Dave Matthews." I think just the loudest people are like, "Screw Dave Matthews." <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I think it would be one of those cool things where we would have to pay attention to would, would these people like each other. But I would bring together uh, definitely James Taylor. I mean, how much longer are we gonna have this guy on planet Earth? That's fair. We're gonna bring James Taylor. We're gonna bring uh, definitely Stapleton. I mean, yeah. come on. So guys of that. You're really taking this answer to its <laughs> full. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm saying you asked what I'm going to yeah. do with a billion dollars. I think they're, they're two pretty unique answers. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. You know, I'm not going to, like, skydive or, you know, purchase a jet. All those average things that billionaires do. Right. Well, you can skydive. You don't need a billion dollars to skydive, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that in Alabama. Right? Uh, no offense, Alabama. All right, so there's my answer. Okay, uh, I want to save Hunter for last because I feel like he's probably had this answer thought out yeah, for years. I swear there's, there's literally a journal sitting on Hunter's <laughs> desk at the gym just for this scenario. Yeah, so my answer is kind of a cheating answer because it allows me to buy a lot of things that I do want for one specific project. But I would build the most incredible recording studio on the planet. Purely for my own gain. I don't want to bring in anybody else to record. I oh, just, no kidding. Prob- I probably would eventually. Because I was it- thinking that's genius because I just bought a concert. You're buying, like, artists now and all future artists want to be at this place. Yeah, but my, my uh, reasonings are a little more selfish. I just want to be able to have it to say I have it. 
like because it allows me to buy all these guitars I've always wanted, or all these amps, or okay. a bunch of cool microphones, all these nerdy things that you know no one else cares about. Probably it'd be super fun to have. Um, you could do something like have a have a piece of a wall from Abbey Road or something like shipped over, break down Abbey Road and rebuild it in Mississippi. <laughs> Why not? Have a billion dollars. Stop me if you can. I, I don't think anybody would come out of principle. Like, you broke Abbey Road for this. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, so you could, well, you've right there, you probably spent three-fourths of your money building a nice recording studio. Three-fourths? They could yeah. spend $750 wow. million. Dollar. Actually, you probably could pretty Thank easily. You. Now that I think Thank about you. it. Thank you. Don't make fun of me for that. Yeah, yeah. If you can do it on a Jeep, I could probably do it on a recording studio. Yeah. You just take it to a whole, an incredibly different level when you have that many resources. That's fair. Yeah. All right, Hunter. So I, I really have not prepared at all for this answer. Dang it. Oh, but I, you got to be kidding I, me. I, that's a bummer. Up, I came up with it while Ben was talking. I'm probably going <laughs> to probably gonna regret it immediately. You had plenty of time. So I'm going to get a 1979 Jeep. Put Munster tires on it and run over your Jeep bed <laughs> and crush it and make while you, you watch. Make you watch. <laughs> so, so his billion dollar dream is to crush your dream instantly. Let's go. I'll just buy another one. <laughs> we'll start over. Uh, no, I, you know, I, I think I might buy a sports team. That would be pretty cool. Oh, NFL that's, team. That's pretty smart. You, you, I bet the no, I bet the Browns are pretty cheap. Yeah. Hey, they're they're up and coming though. Right that's now. fair. I think I would I would like to have an NFL team and maybe like a professional soccer team in the premier league or something like that that'd be, that'd pretty, be pretty cool, cool. so like diversify your professional sports yeah, team yeah. portfolio yeah it would be cool if you bought the saints now you're guaranteeing that you could keep breeze in the organization for as long as you wanted to you know it's like the next elway hey he could be out there with a with a walker for all i care playing quarterback <laughs> <laughs> people are still gonna show up well, i didn't really mean on the field let's I mean, see what breeze does deal. this no, week, he's staying on the field <laughs> <laughs> get out there breeze <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah I'd probably buy a sports team. I think that'd be pretty fun to have a sports team. Okay, I, so I'm going I'm to push you a little bit. Yeah. That's like, I think that's a very smart business decision. It matches who you are. You would enjoy you know, each day of your life probably in that oh, scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about like something that you would buy that's just for you personally. Like this, this object, this item, this is what I'm going to get. Well, Zillow recommended a $25 million house to me the other day, so I might buy that one. Deal. Nice Casually. House. Deal. <laughs> That's pennies in the bucket, man. Yeah. <laughs> Piece of cake, huh? Yeah. I was you like, know, well, Zillow must think really highly of me. <laughs> <laughs> they recommending this house to me. He's a business owner. He's got it. <laughs> Surely. I think another thing that would be hilarious is to uh, buy like just majority controlling stakes or controlling uh, stocks in small publicly traded companies just to just to be owning companies <laughs> out of nowhere it's like i want to buy 51 percent of your stocks of all, of all these little companies <laughs> just walk in yeah. the next day what's up i'm your new boss <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay i think that was a good question for a short outside the box that we uh you know i had to make happen for the sake of uh the yeah. time we yeah. allotted. I think it's going to stick with me. Now I'm trying to think like of other people that would know how would they spend the money. I think this will generate the most comment or like uh, consumer feedback that we've gotten on a outside the box. Like, no, you should have bought this, yeah. idiot. We should be clear, though, that we are not actually handing out this money ever. It's or totally nor are we receiving it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So last thing we usually do on, epi- on an episode is recommends. We try to recommend mm-hmm. some things for our listeners to dive into until we release another episode. You guys got any of those? I sure don't. Yeah, I do. Thank goodness. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> got to keep the streak going. That's right. So uh, I've been, I like to read fiction books before I uh, go to bed every night. 
And uh, I've been reading uh, this series by Robert Crace. I think that's how you sell, uh, say his name. And it's about a, a private detective named Elvis Cole. Um, and I really like th- I'm on the second one. Uh, the first one was called, I'm looking it up right now because I was not very prepared. Um, I'll come back to it. But anyways, he, uh, he is a, uh, oh, it's called The Monkey's Raincoat. The first one was called The Monkey's Raincoat. came out in 1987. But Elvis Cole is a detective. He's a really smart aleck detective, uh, no-nonsense type guy. He's really funny. The dialogue is really good. He, he's not really scared of anybody. He reminds me a lot of uh, Raylan Givens and Justified, if you all have ever watched that show. He's, I just started watching that. It's great. And uh, he's one of my favorite characters on TV. But uh, this Elvis Cole guy, he's hilarious. And he just, you know, he's, he's really good at his job, and he just doesn't take any crap. And he doesn't care if, he, you know, he, the book I'm reading now, he's working for, like, a billionaire guy, and the guy's trying to push him around because he has all this money, and he just doesn't care at all. So um, these Elvis Cole books, uh, I've really enjoyed them so far. There's a whole lot in the series. So if you enjoy series like that where it's the same character in lots of different books, I would check them out. The first, start with the first one, The Monkey's Raincoat, and I think it won a bunch of awards and stuff. So uh, Robert Crace. Uh, the monkeys, monkeys raincoat, and all the Elvis Cole books would be my recommendation. I love the way Hunter talks about fictional characters like they actually have lunch together. You know, it's like, <laughs> so this yeah. guy, I mean, you know, he's just one of those kind of guys. You yeah. know, all right, I've actually got one that's going to make me sound a lot more intelligent than I am. Do, it, you, do we have the real estate for me to do this recommend? Yeah, sure. All right, so this is a podcast that guys around me have been listening to for a long time, but I pushed away from it uh, because of some of the people that are involved in putting it, putting it together. But uh, Entree Leadership, if you guys listen to this. Yeah, I listen to it. Man, I, I, I'm in the 200s right now. I just started there, like the upper 200s. And the last episode that I listened to uh, was an interview with Lencioni, who's uh, Death by Meeting. And he's got a couple of like, these really big leadership books when it comes to organizations. But I found listening to this episode and a couple of others after it, it's just great information for people who have to get anything accomplished in their life. They put it in the terms of leadership, which I think probably pushes a lot of people away who are researching podcasts. But man, it is just great practical information about I've got these things in my life and this is connected to what we do as a podcast ourselves. I've got this thing in my life that I want to accomplish, but I'm just not sure how to get there. Uh, so I, I couldn't recommend highly enough this uh, entree leadership. The guy doing the interviewing, uh, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of a drag, but because of who's backing this, they just get such incredible guests on there. It's worth a listen. It's hard to believe you can have this resource for free. Uh, so it's just something going on in my world new these days I, I'd like to recommend. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. a great podcast. And Lencioni is uh, he's amazing. He's one of the best business book writers out there. Yeah. This last episode I listened to said, the leader that you are in meetings is the leader that you are. Period. Your organization experiences you how you are in meetings and everything else totally disregard it which is the exact opposite of how leaders usually think so let's wrap up the episode chase how do you want to do that how do you want to land this plane just like this